this week on the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. Barriers in cyclocross, what good are they anyway? And Greg and Mattia look back at the somewhat recent World Championship road races in Il Lombardia. Stay with us. Welcome to the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. I'm Greg, and sitting across from the internet from me is my usual podcasting pal, Matteo. Matteo, how you doing? I'm good, Greg. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. I want to start with the rant du jour, uh, and I don't have a prepared rant. I just want to throw out kind of a contentious idea. Um, we've been talking about cyclocross all evening. Uh, it's early October. It's cross season. And here's what I'm thinking about about cyclocross. I hate Wait barriers. I hate barriers, and I think that we should get rid of them. I think that they add so little to cyclocross courses that uh, their use is often a uh, a completely thoughtless and arbitrary obstacle that that serves no purpose. It's false. It's artificial. It's stupid, and I don't understand why the hopping off of your bike to run over these two 40 centimeter planks and jump back on it is a cyclocross skill. I, I and I'm not even saying this cause I'm bad at them. I'm thoroughly mediocre at barriers. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought this up, Matthew. And I'll tell you why. Uh, cause I do suck at barriers. <laughs> no, uh, no, this is actually, I'm delighted. This is a, a fascinating topic of discussion, actually. Well, <laughs> for if you're a cyclocross nerd like like we are, evidently. No, um, the trend, actually, over the decades, of course, has been to have fewer and fewer forced dismounts on cyclocross courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that trend has been very positive. And it's really funny, actually, that the, uh, I was going to say public perception, maybe the internet bicycle per you know bicycle people on the internet perception of cyclocross is of like i don't know crawling through swamps with a bike on your shoulder mm-hmm. and i've seen you know if, if you if you hunt around on various bicycle forums or fora or whatever or, or, or other places you'll see these you know these photos from the 1950s <laughs> you know of someone like climbing over a post and rail fence it looks like my family vacations growing up except you know oh yeah it it totally does and there's like one like gnarly old dude like with a turtleneck sweater kind of (laughs) off to the side and one of those old man caps watching (laughs) and they're like man wouldn't it be so cool to have like courses like this with tons of running and i have to i have to ask these people have you done a cyclocross race (laughs) That is Running miserable. sucks. <laughs> Running with your bike on your shoulder is no fun. No one wants to do it. No. You know, this is when people talk about this actually comes back to that um you know, we want harder courses thing. Well, harder courses mean more running with your bike and on your shoulder. You know what? That's not fun. It also means worse racing, you know. I mean, harder courses mean yeah. the race breaks up and it's an individual time trial on dirt. And Absolutely. that's that's part of the sport, but that shouldn't be, you know, the heart and soul of the sport. Yeah, yeah, and there needs to be a balance, of course, in, in that, you know, if every race is a grass crit, that kind of sucks, too. I mean, they can be mm-hmm. fun, you know, but you don't want every race to be a grass crit. You don't ever want every race to be, you know, a, a 5K. Yeah. So you, you, you know, you, that would just be lame. You used, like, the magic term earlier, which is forced dismount, and I, I like when cyclocross, you know, poses you with challenges, and I like when it 
it it presents choices that you have to make. You know, do I ride this or do I run right. this? Um, force dismounts can be really cool to ensure that a run up is a run up. Um, I don't understand the flat barrier uh, forcing a dismount just to remount. That that's the sure. that's the part that just makes me wonder like. Why? Why are we doing this? Why did this become a convention? Um, and and why did it become such this like can- canonical component of cyclocross? I I don't think it's necessary. I think we can abandon them. I think that if I were uh, promoting an, a cross race and designing a course, I would I would not use barriers unless there was some interesting terrain feature that I thought could really benefit from getting riders off of their bikes. But I don't really know sure. what that would be. You know. Uh, why would I not want people to ride a run-up? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's, you know, presumably why the the trend in international courses, too, over the decades has been toward fewer barriers. It, you know, it, while still having tons of, of like, horrific-looking staircases <laughs> and uh, I, run-ups that I will, are crazy I will, steep. And, yeah, I will tell you this. I raced a race last weekend that had a staircase that was 43 stairs. That seems unnecessary. Well, you can't really only raise <laughs> half a staircase, you know? Uh, well, <laughs> okay, yeah. To, to its credit, it didn't seem that long, but it, it, it was that long, and it, it made me unhappy. It was a lot of stairs. I counted every single lap just to make sure that I wasn't wrong, and it hurt. Uh, that's bad. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, wow. Wow. I, I don't even really know where to go from that. Well, a provocative thought. It, you know, it exists. It, you know, like the staircase is there. It's there in the terrain. It exists. It's kind of like saying, oh, let's have a race at Zonovan and, and not go down this insane sand pit. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I think that's a very different thing from, you know, that's what makes a course interesting is if there are cool terrain features that you can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very different. You're, you're kind of saying that, well, if we're just directing essentially plywood planks uh, at, you know, some random point on the course that, that what's the point and Ab- yeah you know I, yeah. I think you make a I think you make a good case I mean the the kind of best argument I can muster against that is uh well because there are barriers in cyclocross <laughs> duh, which which maybe isn't that good um but you know rules arbitrary not purposeless yeah. blah 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 still one of the most fun uh cross races I ever did well, <laughs> it was one of the most fun cross races ever I ever did because it's the only one I ever won. But <laughs> nice. <laughs> didn't really have bears, but it did have three kind of fallen trees mm-hmm. uh, in close proximity that, uh, I don't know, maybe someone could have ridden them, but we pretty much all rode over them. That was actually pretty fun because you could run them yeah. pretty fast. They were lower than they were lower than conventional barriers, right. uh, which, which is kind of what gets me. I'm short, listeners. I, I want you to picture a short guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, enough said. It, it's dip- barriers are a challenge. Greg so, and I, yeah, all right. Gre- Greg and I, we we share an affinity for you know the the forty nine to fifty one centimeter bike, and I, I've often talked about how you know there could be optional shoots on cross races where you sort yourself based on height, and the tall people, uh, you know, have to go over a, a higher barrier. Could you imagine what if Ryan oh, if Ryan, if Ryan Chabone had to jump over a barrier the way I have to jump over a barrier it would look very different you know the sport would be very different he steps oh, over that's those a rest things. every yeah oh yeah i mean he's essentially just going for a walk yeah i need a grappling yeah. hook to get over the fucking thing sometimes <laughs> oh it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, i've i've i can't even tell you how many times uh, 
yeah, <laughs> we should probably let it go. But I can't even tell you how many times I've I've yeah. nearly caused my brought myself to serious grief on the barriers, uh, especially it'll happen. It'll especially. Happen oh, I've I've hit the bike on them. Yeah. When when the entry to the barriers is fast, it, that bad things tend to happen. <laughs> All right, so that's ramp du jour. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll sum it up. Barriers. I'll sum it up with one last point, which is I am always a proponent of you know if the rules don't work for you, find a way around them a little bit. And so I will I will salute Kevin Powell's for that one race, uh, the Roubaix Cross race a couple years ago when the barriers stretched almost course tape to course tape, and on the first lap. He just rode around the damn things as everyone else oh, was yeah. dismounting. Kevin Powell's, <laughs> I salute you. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Zach McDonald tried that and got hit with a big old fine, didn't he? <laughs> I believe he had to run them twice as punishment. That's right. Go back and run them twice. Brilliant. <laughs> right? Brilliant. I will not ride around the barriers on the blackboard 100 times. <laughs> okay, so you want to do a quick, uh, quick little chat about... Uh, Road World Championships and uh, Il Lombardia, and then maybe call it a night. Let's do it. Let's do it. And here's what I have to say about the World Champs and about uh, Il Lombardia, is that both of these two big autumn races were won with perfectly timed attacks. And if you're looking for road cycling that has, like, flair and panache and sort of all the great stuff that that we fetishize out of races and that we wait for and that we're glued to live streams all spring and all July for these two races. They, they were just perfect. They were, they were daring attacks that paid off by a margin of seconds. And I think that they were just two amazing races for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really one on, on instinct, right? Kind of, reading the race reading the race well enough to sense now is when i need to go because i think i think uh so of course the winner of uh of the men's world championship road race uh uh had originally planned uh i assume from from what i understand i haven't really um i don't tend to pay too much attention to rider interviews because because frankly they're usually not that interesting um but that he planned to go on that last climb but instead uh took a chance on the very twisty, terrifying descent uh, before the dam uh, leading into the last climb, and, and got his gap and bridge to the uh, the break right right before then. And, and I really do mean it was scary. I when I was watching both the men's and the women races coming down this, it was uh, like heart in my mouth kind of yeah. stuff. Just that some of those last uh, little switchbacks were. You know, it was barrier to barrier, one side of the road to the other kind of stuff. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty. There are tight. all these signs, right? Like you so, know, when it's single file, you know it's fast. When it's single file, and when there's like three or four bike lengths between each rider, then you know it's you know it's fast, you know it's hard, but you also know that the riders there are going, oh shit. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a, there's a lot of that. It it looked uh, seriously scary. Yeah. So, uh, kudos to yeah, them. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I think I also like saw, you know, whatever cycling news interview or translation you're referring to. Yeah, you know, Kwiatkowski said, "Yeah, I didn't, I didn't plan to go there," and that's, that's amazing. You know that we we talk often about riders these days being glued to their power meters and this and that, and and obviously he, you know, a 24 year old, he was just going based on now seems right. And he's got stripes as yeah. a result. Amazing. Yeah. Love to see it. Yeah. Love to see it. Yeah. And, and Dan Martin, um, 
who who I, I have to I have to confess is is one of my favorite riders right Interesting. now. Interesting. Yeah. No, I really like. Well, it might not be so much Dan Martin as um, and and boy, this is opening myself up for potential ridicule. But the Garmin team, and not as like you know, in in the sense that uh, oh, I think everything that this organization does is perfect. Though I do think that they have a pretty good you know their track record is better than a lot of other teams, mm-hmm. uh, and I find them pretty credible. But it, it seems like, especially in the last few years, that um, they really. They're a very effective outfit in in animating the races they're in. Yeah, you know that they're always taking chances, and I really I like the way they race. I guess is what I'm saying. I like that they really try and do daring things. That they do different things. That they don't, you know, wait till the last climb and and play it safe. Um, and I think that's kind of what you have to do. And and it, they're part of what I hope is a continuing trend. From, you know, of course we know that. Uh, and of course, that's not to say that things are are, are <laughs> necessarily completely clean now. But but you know the the days of the kind of two thousands um, were seriously dope fueled in, in the nineties too, and and that might have been part of what led to some seriously not very interesting bike racing. <laughs> um, yeah, just lots of kind of high speed wait to the last climb kind of stuff. But but the last. I feel like for as long as I've been really closely following it, you know, most of my knowledge of, of sort of what happened before is retroactive. So almost as long as I've really been closely following bike racing, which is probably since about 2008-ish, um, we've had some really good, really exciting uh, races. And I think that, that Garmin has been part of that trend, and I really like that, especially in the Tour de France with uh, so Dan Martin's stage win in uh, 2013, for example. Yeah. One of the one of the few times when it is actually worth watching, um, you know, you mentioned uh, sort of big Garmin's, chunks of the stage. An, uh, yeah, you mentioned Garmin's, you know, animating racing and and racing really aggressively and taking risks. And it also seems like they have a sort of organizational approach to taking risks. You know, I mean, they they find some riders who I, I don't necessarily want to say they're overlooked, but it's not like they're these. It's not like they sign riders who had already had an amazing coming out, you know? I mean, Dan Martin, yeah. Dan Martin, obviously like sort of long, long cred coming out of Ireland. Um, but right. Being it, the it, it, nephew of uh, Stephen Roach. Yeah. Getting at. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I, as a U 23, you know, he had a bunch of stuff, but then if you look at his pro results, it's kind of like, Oh, you know, like tour of, Poland and you know a podium and something like you know Catalonia and you know a stage here and a stage there and then boom Liège boom Lombardia you know yeah. like stuff like this that's just like 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 they they take somebody who's obviously like very good and you know a, a professional cyclist and but they they find riders and they kind of manage to like develop them and throw them into positions where they're winning huge races it's like it's like money ball cycling <laughs> it's entirely <laughs> possible yeah that is not that is that is an apt i think uh that's probably an apt appro- uh, way to describe what they're what they're doing well yeah i mean there are a lot of criticisms you can make of uh jonathan water fodders and, and many people will make them and will continue to make them and, and uh you know with good reason mm-hmm. uh but he does seem to have a good eye uh for some of these guys including dan martin who's been very much a late bloomer um, really long development path, mm-hmm. you know, 
but it seems to be you know when you get a when you get a couple monument wins out of it that's that's really something so i i think that it might be good to just talk very quickly anyway uh we we've neglected the women's world championship road race do you want to say anything about that you know i do i'm glad you brought that up i even cycling news i think published something along the lines of like oh does this world championship road race really indicate that women's racing is boring and you know to recap uh over the final climb a break of four absolute heads of state went away and they descended and they had right. you know 10 or 15 seconds on the peloton and then going into the final couple kilometers they looked at each other because that's how bike racing shakes out sometimes and they stopped pedaling yeah they, they soft pedaled they looked at each other and they got caught and all of a sudden you know inside the final kilometer it turns into a bunch sprint instead of the the sort of Small, the small. No, admittedly, from a from a reduced mm-hmm. bunch, still a reduced yeah. bunch. I I thought it was I thought it was insane that you know such a high profile publication like Cycling News was was drawing the in you know even even giving credence to the notion that one race could indicate something so sweeping as women's racing is boring. I have to wonder if these if they if they watch it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, because I was on the edge of that my seat. Personally. Terribly exciting. It was incredibly tense. It was incredibly tense. It was incredibly exciting. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure. Well, I think that what it comes down to is, man, the women just can't catch a break. You know, like, it, it's, it's like all right on their shoulders. Every single moment of every single race has to be just like thrilling excitement. Uh, and probably even then they're going to say it's boring. It's like, come on, what do you want? Yeah. You know, and, and they're also kind of up against, they're, they're up against. Um, the distance is being shorter too, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, and, and maybe kind of way back in the day when um, there was just the level of competition was way lower and there were, you know, way fewer really great riders in the women's peloton. Like, you know, they kind of needed to be that short. And I'm not saying that, that they need to go out there and just like bump the race distances up. Maybe they need to reduce the distances in the men's races. Mm-hmm. But the point is that you know they're getting to the end of these races and a lot of these riders there's so many of them that are so good and so fit that there's just going to be a lot of them left yeah, absolutely you know there i think that they're up against a lot and i think honestly that some of the best races that we've seen in the last couple of years have been been the women's races because they are they are just brutal oh, you know the men kind of have this men's road racing honestly and this is why i, I will confess to you i did not watch the majority of the uh, i had i had the men's road race going but I kind of kept looking at the corner of my eye and was like, eh, yeah, it's kind of boring right now. Nothing's going yeah. on. You know, and it was kind of boring. Like, you know, there's there's really not much there for someone who isn't really into the minutia. It's it's only because exciting. It's, the, the idea is exciting. You know, oh, like what's going to happen? Oh, there's only 65 kilometers left. Uh, you could put it on when it's 15. The tactical environment will be pretty much the same. And right. we'll have a little bit yeah. more efficient use so of the excitement. This, there's very much kind of you know there's a there's literally and it might sound crazy you know but it's true there's like the culture of of how a race unfolds there's um the meta race right there's just this is how we do it you know the early break yeah, goes the choreography and there's kind of this entente mm-hmm. yeah the choreography is a good way of putting it. there's there's the entente and, and and well you know the teams that have a stake in it will control the pace and up to a lot not let it get too close they they gradually reel it back then the attacks start going and then you know and then you have the finale and it's very exciting intense and all that and that's just kind of how it 
it always plays out in the women's the, the way the women race kind of often turns that on its head it's really different it's it's refreshing it's it's not the same i don't know like i said i think they catch a tough break it was a really great race the other kind of nonsense story from that is like was is you know the era of marianne voss over uh, no (laughs) (laughs) no no uh, you know you've attained a special obviously marianne voss has been uh a phenomenal cyclist for for years now it's so clear that you've attained an almost mythical status when sudden like a loss uh foreshadows your doom you know um she yeah she's not we're talking about someone who has olympic medals uh, world championships in cross road and track uh right and has has been you know crushingly dominant and she's she's 27 maybe she is, she is not yet hit yeah. her prime. You know, she's going to get bored of winning world championships before she gets incapable of doing it. Uh, oh, even a couple even a couple years ago, um, you know, I remember reading. I don't even remember where, but but there was uh, maybe it was on Cycling News where it was like literally she has to keep coming up with new ways to keep herself motivated, yeah. you know, because she keeps winning. But you know, she's got really good competition cut coming up. So of course, the winner of the women's road race in that sprint. Uh, Pauline Ferrand Prevot, who is another uh, multidisciplinary um, phenom, uh, has been tearing it up on the mountain bike uh, World Cups as well as the road. At the same at the same time, mind you, this is not what like Marianne Voss does, where she goes and races um, a road racing season and kicks everyone ass, everyone's ass, and comes into cyclocross and then goes and kicks everyone's ass. Uh, but doing them both at the same time, which is pretty pretty <laughs> badass. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then goes and wins. Did she actually? She, I believe, she won the cross country uh, world championship. Is that right? I, I'm not sure. It wouldn't. Surprise. I don't follow I, I remember, biking that closely. I remember, you know, just looking at her palmares and this past year, they were so varied and jaw droppingly impressive. It was out of it's out of control. You can and you, and you yeah. can't you can't so, ask for a more deserving winner either than than. Uh, than her. Yeah, well, she still had what it was. She still had, you know, enough left at at the end of you know what was clearly a super hard race, um, you know, to to get there, get on the right wheel, and and then you know win the sprint. Yeah, and she she had the the second place finisher um, who I'm I'm ashamed because I'm spacing on her name, but the German woman who also who got the gold medal in the time trial coming up really fast. Uh, too, so she timed it perfectly. Yeah, and and honestly, that last lap on those climbs, it was super exciting. People were attacking left, right, and center. It was, you know, it was it was very exciting. The, the fireworks, you know, were going maybe. Off. Yeah, I, I think that maybe what maybe a lot of these people need to do is, you know, what like just start watching only the last fifteen kilometers of your bike <laughs> races, men's and women's. Yeah, and then and then every race will be exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and well, yeah. you know, it would also be great if we could get you know that first hour broadcasted so we could see all the the fireworks and chaos of the initial break getting established but you know even even when we have the benefit of you know full replay it's not really a full replay we don't really get that early bit you know they come in with oh 120 kilometers remaining sure well you know it's funny and and again we could go down a rabbit hole i think we we should wrap it up soon but uh i I do want to say there has been you know it's funny I, i think it started kind of in in about 2008 or so, and has only been getting more and more kind of pronounced, there's this trend toward um, 
fans were like, we want to see the whole race. We don't want to see just the last hour or hour and a half. We want to see all of it, you know, start <laughs> to finish, soup to nuts. Uh, and the the broadcasters, uh, the promote, you know, the, the race organizers were like, no, okay. You know, <laughs> increasingly said, all right, here's your entire race. <laughs> and we were like, woohoo, this is really, really dull. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe the traditional model of... Uh, showing kind of a highlights package of the important moments <laughs> that yeah. happened earlier on the race before cutting to oh no back to the action <laughs> uh you know maybe that is actually a, a better way of doing it you know yeah. there's there's got to be some kind of ground in between like the uh ridiculous sort of cbs or, or abc or whatever it was the uh oh um the 80s, oh, you know, American yeah, broadcasts of the Tour John de France Tesh with all the goofy music and, yeah. and the... Thank you, John Tesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the goofy, uh, overwrought kind of writing and <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff, which which can be fun, but only in the sense of, the like, daring oh, the 80s. trudge their way across northern France. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is... Man, the production on those is something. <laughs> all right, wow. It... I think we've got a lot here <laughs> yeah i will i will i will leave with you know the recommendation that our to, to sort of follow up on this this point about mariana voss our viewers should look up two photos one is uh our there, viewers. There, there two our viewers our listeners should look up two photos listeners <laughs> one is uh, the, fin- the finish line <laughs> photo from the 2011 women's world championship road race which is mariana voss's pain face as she gets second to georgia bronzini and the mm-hmm. next would be her her face of joy as she wins the 2012 Olympic road race, and you know, y- soaked, s- soaking wet with you know almost the same shrieking grimace on her face. Oh wait, no, I'm thinking of the Olympics actually. Yeah, no, Sorry, no, I am. That was that was soaking. Well, so so 2011, she loses the World Championship road race. 2012, she right. wins the Olympic road race, and. It's just so amazing to kind of look at these two facial expressions and how similar they are and how they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. And it's just, uh, well, it's part of the beauty of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we haven't heard the last of her. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been <laughs> the working all. man's honest bicycle program. We have not heard the last of Mariana Voss. Oh, I meant of Mariana Voss. Yes. <laughs> You'll be hearing. <laughs> She's got a bright future ahead of her. I think we'll be seeing more Have from her. Have you heard about this young talent, <laughs> this young Dutch talent named Mariana Voss? <laughs> hey, everyone. I just discovered women's bicycle racing. <laughs> uh. Uh, nailed it. Stay strong, friends. You're almost to the end of your work week. You'll be able to wake up early in the morning and ride your bicycle in the nice weather again. This is the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. We think a lot and talk a lot about bike stuff because we know that it's just another way to enjoy a beautiful sport that we love. My name is Matteo, and I'm joined by Greg Colby. And you can find me on the internet, on the Twitter, at underscore M-A-T-T-I-O. Yep, and you can find me at Grolby, G-R-O-L-B-Y. I got a blog, standarddouble.com. I don't post there very often, but... It's there. But damn it, it's Uh, there. It's there. So thanks once again for lending us your ears and tuning in, and we'll catch you again soon. Hang out with us again sometime soon.
mitzvah, spooky scary, boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. <laughs>